Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I want for you to think of of the old man that you may know and love, but who thinks that you just don't have a clue. You haven't lived long enough. You haven't experienced enough things. And even if it comes from a very genuine place, I mean, whenever you share something that that you've experienced or you've been a part of or something that has happened to you, it makes no difference because they've experienced something that's just over and above and beyond that. Do you have that one particular person in mind? I mean, with this with this type of this type of person, I mean, don't ever tell them, don't ever tell them like this morning that you're cold. Cold? You don't know cold. I remember back in 1940, it was so cold we had to go up on the chimney and chip the smoke off. We had to go to the refrigerator and open it up just to heat the house. And don't ever complain to one of these guys that there's nothing on television, right? TV, I remember a time before TV. We were too tired to worry about anything called TV. We did a little, little bit of something called work. You ever heard of that? We just, listened to, we just listened to FDR on the radio and went to sleep. And when we got TV, we only had three channels, four, five, and eight. And we only got two of those at night. And I was the remote control. And don't ever, with one of these guys, don't ever complain about money, right? Don't ever complain about, we were so poor, we were so poor, we couldn't pay attention. We were so poor, poor people called us poor. We were so poor, we heard that KFC was finger licking good and we had to stand outside and lick other people's fingers. What are you talking about, poor? And with one of these guys, with one of these guys, don't ever complain about being hurt, right? Pain, you don't have a clue about pain. I remember one time I fell off the tractor, I got run over, and I stood up and my spleen had just come out my mouth and was kind of just wavering there. Well, what'd you do? What do you mean what I do? I just swallowed it down and went back to work. That's what I did. And with one of these guys, don't ever complain about your trip to school, right? Why? Because in my day, we walked to school barefoot, in the snow, uphill, both ways. Right, right, okay, all right. 
Now, if you know of anybody like this and they're in the auditorium this morning with you, feel free to just look at them right now. That's fine. (laughs) Sermon on the Mount. Life experiences. That's really what Jesus has been talking about. Life experiences. We tend to look at the, at the Sermon on the Mount and we, and we spiritualize it a, a bit. And we should because it's, it's a spiritual declaration of how to go about living in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to be a people of the kingdom. But because of that, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is as, it's as practical as it gets. As we began with week one, seven weeks ago, the Sermon on the Mount is a, it's a rule of life. Recognizing that we all, we all come to the table of the kingdom with different experiences, differing life experiences. We all come from different places, but we all come with the same need. We all come with the same need for God. And we're called to respond faithfully to the same call, the call of following Jesus. And here within these verses today, Jesus, he speaks again to the heart. He speaks to the heart behind the action. And the courage, the courage to be men and women of the kingdom. Go to the next slide there. Verse 33, Matthew chapter 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. Jesus, he he turns to our oaths. He turns to the, the vows that we take. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it. It makes perfect sense for Jesus to turn our attention here when we consider what we looked at last week as he's talking about the, the covenant of marriage as, as he's drawing our attention toward marital vows. And so now he moves our attention toward the oaths that we take. And it seems that there was, a, was ambiguity as to which promises or which oaths a person was obligated to keep. Even the quote that Jesus cites to them was one that they were familiar with, but it's actually a, it's actually a combination of several different Old Testament passages. Or it might be that their practice had become to keep your promises to God. But which promises you kept in regard to people depended upon whether or not you wanted to keep those promises or if maybe it was in your best interest to go back on them. You've heard that it was said, verse 34, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Now, some have taken this to communicate that believers aren't to take an oath at all. In particular, an oath in court. That's the reason why in most courts when a person is swore in they will be asked do you do you swear or affirm in order to accommodate that sort of belief system but many of us have taken oaths we've made vows we've made promises verse 36 do not swear by your head 
for you cannot make even one hair white or black. This was obviously before Mrs. Clairol. Verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. When you compare the letter of James with the Sermon on the Mount, James, the, the brother of Jesus, James, who, who was not a believer, who was not a follower of Christ during the life of Christ, it's only after the resurrection that, that James believes and James begins to, to live a life defined by the kingdom. But you can, you can lay the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount next to the letter of James and there's so many similarities. It's as if James is, is looking at it as he's working his way through his text. And in James 5.12, the brother of Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. But what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, be a person of your word. Be a person of integrity. There's no need to say, I swear I'm telling the truth. I personally have found that most who do aren't. There's no need to put your, your hand on a stack of Bibles. There's no need to, to swear on some beloved relative's grave. There's no need for, I cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. There's no reason, there's no need for any of that. Be a person of integrity. Be a person of your word. Don't make promises that you don't keep. Be such a person that when you speak, those that know you know that you're telling the truth. Be such a person of truth and integrity that were someone to accuse you of lying, that those who know you best know that that's not the case. Be the same in public as you are in private. And be the same in private as you are in public. Be honorable. Be trustworthy. Be light in a world of darkness. Why? Because... Because these are the qualities of the God that we serve. Be a person who tells the truth. We have six children from, from the age of, of 5 to 25. With all of our kids, for all of, their, all of their life at home growing up, Tirsa has instilled within them, Reeves tell the truth. That's just something that, she's, that she has said that she's done with each and every one of them. Reeves tell, Reeves tell the, Reeves are truth tellers. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard her say that to our, to our kids. Reeves tell the truth. And it wasn't very long ago, a couple of months ago around the holidays, and our youngest daughter, Gracie, she realized that she has, she has cousins who have the same last name. It's just, it just all of a sudden just dawned on her. I've got, I have, we have, I have cousins in, who have the same last name and so she's talking with Tirsa about this and she says so they had the they had the the same last name they had the last name of their last name is Reeves too yes it is oh they tell the truth be a people who tell the truth be truth tellers is what is what Jesus is is saying here be a person 
of integrity. Have integrity so deep that no oath or promise or stack of Bibles can add to your words. Be a person of integrity. Don't cheat. Don't cheat on your exams. This is February. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't cheat on your spouse, connecting to what we saw in the previous text last week. Don't say that you'll, you'll do something when you have no intention of doing it. Being a, be a person of integrity. Be a person who keeps their word. A person for whom your word is your bond. And yet how very often lies are told and promises left not kept. The University of Massachusetts conducted a study that reported that in any given 10-minute conversation, that 60% of people will lie at least once. Now, what they did not include in the study was whether or not those surveyed were Christians. When non-believers lie, what do we expect? Jesus says when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. And so when non-believers lie, what do we expect? But when those who claim to be followers of the way are not known as a people who tell the truth and who keep their word, which really are two separate things, But when followers of Jesus fail to to maintain this sort of integrity, we're not being true to our calling to the Lord. And in the process, fail to point others toward Him, which is our ultimate mission. In Proverbs, lying is listed in those things that God hates. In Revelation, those who lie stand eternally condemned. As I said last week, certainly there are, no, there are no unforgivable sins except a denial of God. But forgiveness and consequences, those are, those are two different things. We're going to talk more fully about this here in a couple of weeks. But lies, they damage. They devastate. Lies ruin relationships. Especially when why those lies are being told is uncovered, what the lies were concealing. It's a question of if there's a high enough reward or if it benefits you enough, is your integrity for sale? And quite frankly, if and when you lie, it flies in the face of the truth of God. What kind of people are we to be? C.S. Lewis, he concludes mere Christianity by writing, nothing in you that has not died, will ever be raised from the dead. We're to be a resurrected people, right? That's, that's who we are. We're, we're to be a people of, of resurrection, a people for whom the resurrection of Jesus defines us. We're to be a people of integrity, a people of honor, a people of, of truth. This is what Christians are to be. This is how we're to behave. 
But then we ask maybe a further question. That's how we're to behave, but, but what do we do when others do not? What do we do when others are not? And so Jesus answers those questions with the next few verses. Look at verses 38 to 42. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, how far, how far are we supposed to take this? Is Jesus really saying, don't put up a fight if someone is seeking to harm you or harm others? That seems to contradict the nature of God as God being a God of, of justice. And what is it that God calls us to? To seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I've shared this with you before, but I've been reminded lately that not everyone remembers everything that I say, and so I'll just tell it to you like it's brand new, okay? There's a story of, of this, this Irish boxer a hundred years ago who is, is converted to Christianity, and he takes this, this passage literally and determines that he can't be a, he can't be a boxer anymore. And so he, he, walks the, the dusty roads of, of Ireland preaching the gospel of Jesus, and he's confronted by, by two thugs who want to take his money. And one walks up to him and punches him in the face, and he doesn't respond. The other one demands his money again, and he refuses to give it. And so the other one punches him on the other side of the face. He lifts his eyes toward them and says, Our God has given me no further instruction. This, this going two miles when asked, it, to, it, it's, it's, likely referring, it's likely referring to the practice of Roman soldiers who for any and every reason could force a person to carry a load for them under the penalty of death if they refused for up to one mile. That may very well be the explanation, that practice, for Simon of Cyrene being forced to carry the cross of Christ when Jesus could no longer do so after his scourging. It's where the phrase, going the extra mile, comes from. But is Jesus, is he really saying these things? Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. If someone is suing you, undeservedly, give them more than they're asking for. Let anyone and everyone borrow from you, regardless of whether or not they're going to pay it back. And so what are we to do with these difficult sayings? I think at the very core of this, what Jesus is communicating in, in extreme ways to us is a call to look at the bigger picture. When you respond to people, whatever it is that they're doing, when you respond to them, take a moment and think about how your responses can impact them for the kingdom. Be intentional. See adversity as opportunity. 
see adversity as opportunity. And when those opportunities come along, go out of your way for people. Be a people of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Be a person who's patient. Back to the previous text, be a person of your word. Why? So that you can point others to the king of the kingdom. So that you might be such a person of of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and patience and integrity. When they see it, when they experience it, when they least expect it, when they're caught off guard by it. They ask why. And when they ask why, to respond because I am a part of a kingdom that's not of this world. Which when you think about it is exactly what Jesus will say to Pilate during a conversation in regard to power. God's plan has never been to make bad people good. Let me say it again just so you hear it correctly. God's plan has never been to make bad people good. God's plan is to make dead people live. God's plan is for us to be resurrected people. God's plan is to make a kingdom people. A people of the kingdom. And so what does it look like to live in the kingdom? This quote from David Platt in his book, Radical Together. I want my life and the church I am a part of to count for the mobilization of God's people and the completion of God's purpose. I join with others who, like you, don't want to miss out on the thrill of radical obedience to Christ in the world. Because I'm busy maintaining business as usual in the church. I want to be a part of a community of faith that is enjoying the great treasures of God in the context of abandonment to the global purpose of God. The thrill of radical obedience to Christ in the world. So what does this look like in connection to what we see from Jesus today? Be a person of truth. Not only sharing the truth of Jesus, but being true in your words. So maybe there's somebody in your life, or someone who was once in your life, and that relationship has been damaged or destroyed by lies. Is there anything that God can do to turn things toward Him? The goal here is to examine our hearts, to expose any roots of dishonesty, and be a people of truth. And along with that, how do do your actions, how do your responses, how do they point beyond the situation to the truth that you're a part of the kingdom of God? What are ways, what are ways that you and I can point toward Jesus this week and engage the radical call 
of Christ, of obedience to Him in the world. These, uh, these lessons that we've looked at week after week for seven weeks now from the Sermon on the Mount, each and every one of them, I'm just more and more convinced they're just so very practical for us today. A first century message with 21st century relevance, which is what the Gospel of Jesus is all about. It's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And yet each and every one of them, as we consider them step by step as a, a church, uh, my prayer and my hope is that they're challenging us to, to be more of who God has called us to be. And sometimes that doesn't come about without some, some struggle, without some pain along the way, without a great amount of effort. And fundamentally, fundamentally without the Spirit guiding us along on our journey. This morning, if we can bless you in some way, if you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus, if you've, if you've never given your heart and life to Christ by being baptized into Him, I pray that you wouldn't leave here today without having done so. Maybe you need the prayers of this church communally, and we could pray over you as your brothers and sisters today. It would be an honor if you had that need today. Come forward as we stand as Adam leads us in song.